So this morning we are into Sermon 3, three quarters of our way through the book of Jonah, which is a short story with a lot packed in it, but only four chapters. So just as as we begin to open up God's Word again, we're going to read Jonah chapter 3 this morning, and we're going to continue through to the first three verses of Jonah chapter 4. I just want to remind you uh, where we were last week. You can see from the, the sermon slide that really the book of Jonah isn't particularly about Jonah, although he is the main character, or one of the main characters. It's really about God and God's endless love, his great love, not just for his people, but for all the nations. And we've been talking uh, the past two weeks about God's justice and his mercy and how those show up in unexpected ways and maybe even to unexpected people. And so we're going to see that theme of God's mercy and justice again this morning as we open up Jonah. And so you can follow along on the screen. Jonah chapter 3, we'll begin at verse 1 and read through uh, chapter 4, verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey a third of the way in. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a great fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word, of the, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he too arose from his throne, removed his robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that's in his hands. Who knows? God may yet turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish When God saw what the people had done, what they did, how they turned away from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord. Just remember Jonah's prayer last week. We said Jonah was being dramatic. Well, it continues. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful. I knew that you were slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We almost have to say this morning that this is the word of the Lord with laughter when you recognize Jonah's state of mind and his discomfort with God's mercy, with God's uh, justice. 
with God's love. Not just for him, which he feels he is worthy of, but even and also for others, for the nations. As I mentioned uh, before we read this scripture reading, we've been talking about how Jonah, like the other minor prophets, highlights God's never-ending love. His love not just for his people, but for all nations. And how God's justice and mercy show up in unexpected ways. As we read through, or as we read through chapter 3, it's striking to me that one of the primary ways God shows his mercy in, in, these, in this passage is by offering second chances. For Jonah, God offers a second chance at participation. Participation in the call of God and in the proclamation of God's word. If you remember all the way back to Jonah chapter 1, which really wasn't that long ago, uh, 1 verse 1 reads, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, or call out to it, for their evil has come up before me. And then, of course, Jonah, responding to the word of the Lord, certainly not obeying the word of the Lord, but Jonah responds by getting up, and instead of going to Nineveh, he goes the opposite direction. And now here, in chapter 3, after Jonah has sinned against the Lord, after he's literally run, tried to run as far as he could from the Lord, God calls to him, and he gives him exactly the same call in chapter 3 that he offered in chapter 1. In chapter 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out to it the message I give you. Only this time, the only difference is that it's not as it is in chapter 1 about the great evil of Nineveh. Instead, God just says to Jonah, call out or give them the message that I tell you. But in Hebrew, the first part of that sentence is exactly the same as it was in chapter 1. And I think if we understand that or begin to appreciate that, we, we begin to see what it means that a second chance at participation is one of the ways that God's grace is manifest. One of the theologians that I uh, like and admire, N.T. Wright, tells a story about when he was in college. He says, in college, I was invited to uh, the home of a, of a couple in our church, and in, in the church that he was attending. And the couple invited him over for dinner and set out the fine china, had a wonderful meal. And, and over the course of the meal, he made a comment about how nice the home was, how nice the meal was, how nice the dinnerware was. And so the wife told him at, at length about how this was a special family uh, set of dishes. It was passed down to her from her mother and had been passed down from her mother's mother and on and on. And as the meal was concluding, as the evening was concluding, they asked if he would help him, if he would help them clear the dishes and take them back to the kitchen and so he did. But as he carried his plate to the kitchen, he dropped it, and it shattered on the floor. And needless to say, it was a very awkward end to what had been a nice evening. A few weeks later, the couple invited him over for dinner again, and he showed up to their home again, albeit a little worried about how this was going to go. 
And as he sat down at the table, he saw that, again, they had set out the fine china. They had made a beautiful meal for him, and they had a wonderful time talking, pretending as though it was as if he had never dropped that plate. And then at the end of the meal, the wife looked at him, and he said, Tom, would you please help us take the dishes to the kitchen again? And he said he just about broke down. I think when we hear that story, maybe we begin to understand more deeply what it means that a second chance to participate is one of the ways, one of the powerful ways in which God offers us grace. Scripture says that God has removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. It's as if we had never sinned. He doesn't hold our past against us. And we see that evidenced here in, in Jonah. That jo- God had called Jonah very clearly, get up and go to Nineveh. And Jonah gets up and he goes as far away as he possibly can. God says, go to the desert. And Jonah goes down to the ocean and gets on a ship and goes the other direction. God says, go to Nineveh. Go to my enemies. And, and Jonah goes and does his best to stay among the Israelites. But when he returns... When God brings him back, Jonah receives exactly the same call, exactly the same invitation that he had before. God's grace, God's mercy is often given to us in the form of a second chance, a third chance, a tenth chance to participate in what he's doing again, as if we had never sinned. For, jo- or for Nineveh, the, God's grace and his mercy come to them also in the form of a second chance. Verse 10 tells us that God did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. Just as, uh, and, and he, he didn't do that because they repented. They turned to God. I've told you before, many of you anyway, this, the, the picture of repentance in the Old Testament in Hebrew is uses the Hebrew word shuv, which means turn. And that word turn shows up in, this, in chapter 3 four different times. But the picture is, is a very simple one. It's that, like the book of Judges, in those days Israel had no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone, if, if we're walking along, going our own way, doing our own thing, then to repent is to turn around 180 degrees to look at, what God, look at God, to listen to what God is saying, and to begin responding and joining God in what he is doing. Repentance in the Old Testament is summed up in this word to turn, to turn away from whatever we're going, wherever we're doing, where, where I am the center, where I am, I am a law unto myself, as it were, to turn, to listen to what God is saying, what he's calling me to do, and to join him in his mission, in his proclamation. And if it's true what we've been saying, that God is a God of restoration, of redemption, and of renewal, then what the, what the people of Nineveh do is exactly uh, joining God in his mission. Verse 8, uh, the, 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 the proclamation, the decree of the king 
Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that, in his, that is in his hands. Also, an image that's still with us today, the, the bloodshed, you could even say, that's on his hands. Perhaps, who knows, God may relent and turn, and, or excuse me, turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Nineveh, in this passage, turns. They repent from their sin. They leave their evil. They leave the, the blood or the violence that's on their hands. And they turn to God. We don't know how that worked itself out, whether some in Nineveh turned to a covenant relationship with God. But at least we know for a while that justice reigned in Nineveh. Uh, one of the theologians I enjoy, his name is uh, Jack Elul, French guy. He, he comments on this this way. He says, Nineveh, proud of its own power and invincibility, ceases to be itself when it thus humbles itself. Nineveh ceases to be itself when it humbles itself. Well, think about that for a moment and how that fits with this picture of turning or this picture of repentance. Nineveh, perhaps like many of us, has been going along for a while, confident, proud in itself and what it's able to do, what it's able to accomplish. The other people that it's able to put down to make itself look and be great. But when they turn, they become an entirely new people. Maybe not forever, but at least in that moment. They leave their own power, they leave their own violence behind and they turn to be dependent on the Lord. I think this fits with what C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, that God is not making us into nice people. He's making us into new men or new humanity. And that's really, in a, in a nutshell, the message of the gospel, that the transformation that God works in us when we respond to him by turning, is a transformation that, that doesn't just shave off our rough edges. It doesn't just sort of smooth things out and make us nice. It makes us into brand new people. People who have a different direction about us, a different end or tell us, a different goal to ourselves and to our lives. God is making all of us into new people and he begins in this passage, with the people of Nineveh. It's interesting, and I think important, that the Ninevites turn, that they repent, and also that they hope that perhaps God will return, or will turn, excuse me. The king in verse 9, end of verse 9 says, who knows, maybe God will turn and relent from, and turn from his fierce anger. Maybe he'll turn twice. But Jonah, writing, uh, says that God relented, not that God repented. And I think that's important. Because one of the things that we can take away from this is that God has nothing to repent from. It would have been nothing, it would not have been wrong for God to punish, to exercise his justice on the people of Nineveh. And yet, in this situation, for his good pleasure... God continues to be a God of justice, 
but yet also exercises his mercy and relents from the disaster that he had said he would do. He does not do it. Thus, when God calls Jonah to be obedient, when he calls the Ninevites to repent, and when he calls us today to follow him, he continues to call us to be involved both in justice and in the proclamation of repentance. This is what Christians have believed, what Reformed Christians have always preached, and what Tim Keller says in his commentary on the book of Jonah. He says, to work against social injustice and to call people to repentance before God, these interlock theologically. Working for justice, preaching, excuse me, preaching repentance before God, these interlock theologically. It's just as we said earlier in the call to worship that that justice and mercy meet, grace and peace kiss one another. Justice and peace kiss one another. To work for justice, to preach, to proclaim the good news of repentance, these interlock theologically. And as Christians, we celebrate that not only do do they fit together, but that they must fit together, that both are necessary pieces of a life of joy and repentance, but also a life of obedience to God. So we see in this passage that the Ninevites repent, that God relents, and so all that leaves us with is Jonah, who this book is named after. Jonah, in this passage, is the only one who does not repent or relent. In fact, I made that comment as we read through Jonah's response to God relenting. Jonah digs in further as it were. In his prayer in, in chapter 3, I mentioned last week that his prayer is very selfish, and, and this week, his prayer part 2 is even more selfish. As, as God's people, we, we ought to work for justice and also to proclaim repentance, but Jonah doesn't just want to seek justice. He actually enjoys preaching God's wrath. Jonah hopes and intends that God's grace and his mercy would be applied to himself, but that God's justice would be exercised against other people. And so this is what sets up our final sermon. We've we've gotten to this point in Jonah where we see God's vast love for the nations, where we see his power and his spirit at work in bringing the people of Nineveh to repentance and turning their hearts toward him. And next week, in chapter 4, then only then are we going to see that the person whose heart is the hardest, who is most set in his way, running from the Lord, he continues to run from the Lord. Next week, and only next week, do we get to see what God begins to do in Jonah. But as we close this morning, I want to close just by reminding us that this is not primarily a story about Jonah, even though the book has his name. This is a story about God, God's work in Jonah, God's work in, among the nations, 
in this case, Nineveh, but God's great love for all peoples. And his desire, or or these, these two themes of justice and mercy, that through his justice and through his mercy, that God desires to call all people to himself. In a moment, through communion, we're going to have an opportunity to respond to that call from the Lord. But let's meet him in prayer as we transition. Father God, we, we celebrate that we cannot earn a place at your table. There's some pain in that celebration because it means coming to terms with our own unworthiness. But there's deep joy in that celebration because in coming to terms with who we are and the reality that we haven't earned or don't deserve your grace, we come to appreciate and to know your mercy and your love far more deeply because we see just how far you have gone, not only in the book of Jonah, but most fully and most recently in your son Jesus, just how far you've gone to draw sinners and stubborn, unrepentant people like Jonah and even like us, how far you've gone to draw us to yourself. So Lord, we pray this morning that you would continue to do your work of justice and mercy, not as we see fit, but as you see fit. That as we turn from being the center of our own lives That as we turn from our way of action and our way of thinking and of ordering the world, as we turn to you, God, will you not just make us into nice people, will you make us into a new humanity? People who are transformed by your love, who are empowered by your mercy, and who bring an urgent call for justice to our world because we know and celebrate that the end is coming and that you desire to draw all people to yourself. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.